0: chapter 4 of the theory of psychoanalysis by carl gustav jung this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 4 the etiological significance of the infantile sexuality now that we have decided what is to be understood as infantile sexuality we can follow up the discussion of the theory of the neuroses which we began in the first lecture and then dropped we followed the theory of the neuroses up to the point where we ran against freud's statement that the tendency which brings a traumatic event to a pathological activity is a sexual one from our foregoing considerations we understand what is meant by a sexual tendency it is a standing still a retardation in that process whereby the libido frees itself from the manifestations of the pre-sexual stage first of all we must regard this disturbance as a fixation the libido in its transition from the function of nutrition to the sexual function lingers unduly at certain stages a disharmony is created since provisional and as it were worn-out activities persist at a period when they should have been overcome this formula is applicable to all those infantile characteristics so prevalent among neurotic people that no attentive observer can have overlooked them in dementia praecox it is so obtrusive that a symptom complex derives its name therefrom the matter is not ended however by saying that the libido lingers in the preliminary stages for while the libido thus lingers time does not stand still and the development of the individual is always proceeding apace the physical maturation increases the contrast and the disharmony between the persistent infantile manifestations and the demands of the later age with its changed conditions of life in this way the foundation is laid for the dissociation of the personality and thereby to that conflict which is the real basis of the neuroses the more the libido is in arrears in practice the more intense will be the conflict the traumatic or pathogenic moment is the one which serves best to make this conflict manifest as freud showed in his earlier works one can easily imagine a neurosis arising in this way this conception fitted in rather well with the views of who ascribe neurosis to a certain defect from this point of view the neurosis could be regarded as a product of retardation in the development of affectivity and i can easily imagine that this conception must seem self-evident to every one who is inclined to derive the neuroses more or less directly from heredity or congenital degeneration the infantile sexual etiology criticised unfortunately the reality is much more complicated let me facilitate an insight into these complications by an example of a case of hysteria it will i hope enable me to demonstrate the characteristic complication so important for the theory of neurosis you will probably remember the case of the young lady with hysteria whom i mentioned at the beginning of my lectures We noticed the remarkable fact that this patient was unaffected by situations which one might have expected to make a profound impression and yet showed an unexpected extreme pathological reaction to a quite everyday event. We took this occasion to express our doubt as to the etiological significance of the shock and to investigate the so-called predisposition which rendered the trauma effective. the result of that investigation led us to what has just been mentioned that it is by no means improbable that the origin of the neurosis is due to a retardation of the affective development you will now ask me what is to be understood by the retardation of the affectivity of this hysteric the patient lives in a world of fantasy which can only be regarded as infantile it is unnecessary to give a description of these fantasies for you as neurologists or psychiatrists have the opportunity daily to listen to the childish prejudices illusions and emotional pretensions to which neurotic people give way the disinclination to face stern reality is the distinguishing trait of these fantasies some lack of earnestness some trifling which sometimes hides real difficulties in a light-hearted manner at others exaggerates trifles into great troubles we recognize at once that inadequate psychic attitude towards reality which characterizes the child its wavering opinions and its deficient orientation in matters of the external world with such an infantile mental disposition all kinds of desires fantasies and illusions can grow luxuriantly and this we have to regard as the critical causation through such fantasies people slip into an unreal attitude pre-eminently ill adapted to the world which is bound some day to lead to a catastrophe when we trace back the infantile fantasy of the patient to her earliest childhood we find it is true many distinct outstanding scenes which might well serve to provide fresh food for this or that variation in fantasy but it would be vain to search for the so-called traumatic motive whence something abnormal might have sprung such an abnormal activity let us say as day-dreaming itself there are certainly to be found traumatic scenes although not in earliest childhood the few scenes of earliest childhood which were remembered seem not to be traumatic being rather accidental events which passed by without leaving any effect on her fantasy worth mentioning the earliest fantasies arose out of all sorts of vague and only partly understood impressions received from her parents many peculiar feelings centred around her father vacillating between anxiety horror aversion disgust love and enthusiasm the case was like so many other cases of hysteria where no traumatic etiology can be found but which grows from the roots of a peculiar and premature activity of fantasy, which maintains permanently the character of infantilism you will object that in this case the scene with the shying horses represents the trauma it is clearly the model of that night scene which happened nineteen years later where the patient was incapable of avoiding the trotting horses that she wanted to plunge into the river has an analogy in the model scene where the horses and carriage fell into the river since the latter traumatic moment she suffered from hysterical fits as i tried to show you we do not find any trace of this apparent etiology developed in the course of her fantasy life it seems as if the danger of losing her life that first time when the horses shied passed without leaving any emotional trace none of the events that occurred in the following years showed any trace of that fright in parenthesis let me add that perhaps it never happened at all it may have even been a mere fantasy for i have only the assertions of the patient all of a sudden some eighteen years later this event becomes of importance and is so to say reproduced and carried out in all its details this assumption is extremely unlikely and becomes still more inconceivable if we also bear in mind that the story of the shying horses may not even be true be that as it may it is and remains almost unthinkable that an affect should remain buried for years and then suddenly explode in other cases there is exactly the same state of affairs i know for instance of a case in which the shock of an earthquake long recovered from suddenly came back as a lively fear of earthquakes although this reminiscence could not be explained by the external circumstances the traumatic theory a false way it is a very suspicious circumstance that these patients frequently show a pronounced tendency to account for their illnesses by some long-past event ingeniously withdrawing the attention of the physician from the present moment towards some false track in the past this false track was the first one pursued by the psychoanalytic theory to this false hypothesis we owe an insight into the understanding of the neurotic symptoms never before reached an insight we should not have gained if the investigation had not chosen this path really guided thither however by the misleading tendencies of the patient i think that only a man who regards world happenings as a chain of more or less fortuitous contingencies and therefore believes that the guiding hand of the reason endowed pedagogue is permanently wanted can ever imagine that this path upon which the patient leads the physician has been a wrong one from which one ought to have warned men off with a signboard besides the deeper insight into psychological determination we owe to the so-called error the discovery of questions of immeasurable importance regarding the basis of psychic processes it is for us to rejoice and be thankful that freud had the courage to let himself be guided along this path not thus is the progress of science hindered but rather through blind adherence to a provisional formulation through the typical conservatism of authority the vanity of learned men their fear of making mistakes this lack of the martyr's courage is far more injurious to the credit and greatness of scientific knowledge than an honest error retardation of the emotional development but let us return to our own case the following question arises if the old trauma is not of etiological significance then the cause of the manifest neurosis is probably to be found in the retardation of the emotional development we must therefore disregard the patient's assertion that her hysterical crisis date from the fright from the shying horses although this fright was in fact the beginning of her evident illness this event only seems to be important although it is not so in reality this same formula is valid for all the so-called shocks they only seem to be important because they are the starting-point of the external expression of an abnormal condition as explained in detail this abnormal condition is an anachronistic continuation of an infantile stage of libido development these patients still retain forms of the libido which they ought to have renounced long ago it is impossible to give a list as it were of these forms for they are of an extraordinary variety the most common which is scarcely ever absent is the excessive activity of fantasies characterized by an unconcerned exaggeration of subjective wishes this exaggerated activity is always a sign of want of proper employment of the libido the libido sticks fast to its use in fantasies instead of being employed in a more rigorous adaptation to the real conditions of life introversion this state is called the state of introversion the libido is used for the psychical inner world instead of being applied to the external world a regular attendant symptom of this retardation in the emotional development is the so-called parent complex if the libido is not used entirely for the adaptation to reality it is always more or less introverted the material content of the psychic world is composed of reminiscences giving it a vividness of activity which in reality long since ceased to pertain thereto The consequence is that these patients still live more or less in a world which in truth belongs to the past they fight with difficulties which once played a part in their life but which ought to have been obliterated long ago they still grieve over matters or rather they are still concerned with matters which should have long ago lost their importance for them they divert themselves or distress themselves with images which were once normally of importance for them but are of no significance at their later age the complex of the parents amongst those influences most important during childhood the personalities of the parents play the most potent part even if the parents have long been dead and might and should have lost all real importance since the life conditions of the patients are perhaps totally changed yet these parents are still somehow present and as important as if they were still alive love and admiration resistance repugnance hate and revolt still cling to their figures transfigured by affection and very often bearing little resemblance to the past reality it was this fact which forced me to talk no longer of father and mother directly but to employ instead the term image imago of mother or of father for these fantasies no longer deal with the real father and the real mother but with the subjective and very often completely altered creations of the imagination which prolong an existence only in the patient's mind the complex of the parents images that is to say the sum of ideas connected with the parents provides an important field of employment for the introverted libido I must mention in passing that the complex has in itself but a shadowy existence in so far as it is not invested with libido. Following the usage that we arrived at in the Diagnostica Association Studien, the word "complex" is used for a system of ideas already invested with and actuated by libido. This system exists as a mere possibility ready for application if not invested with libido either temporarily or permanently the nucleus complex at the time when the psychoanalytic theory was still under the dominance of the trauma conception and in conformity with that view inclined to look for the cause efficiens of the neurosis in the past the parent complex seemed to us to be the so-called root complex to employ freud's term or nucleus complex kern complex the part which the parents played seemed to be so highly determining that we were inclined to attribute to them all later complications in the life of the patient some years ago i discussed this view in my article die bedutung des vaters fur das schicksal des eiseneln the importance of the father for the fate of the individual here also we were guided by the patient's tendency to revert to the past in accordance with the direction of his introverted libido now indeed it was no longer the external accidental event which caused the pathogenic effect but a psychological effect which seemed to arise out of the individual's difficulties in adapting himself to the conditions of his familiar surroundings it was especially the disharmony between the parents on the one hand and between the child and the parents on the other which seem favourable for creating currents in the child little compatible with his individual course of life in the article just alluded to i have described some instances taken from a wealth of material which show these characteristics very distinctly the influence of the parents does not come to an end alas with their neurotic descendants blame of the family circumstances or their false education as the basis of their illness but it extends even to certain actual events in the life and actions of the patient where such a determining influence could not have been expected the lively imitativeness which we find in savages as well as in children can produce in certain rather sensitive children a peculiar inner and unconscious identification with the parents that is to say such a similar mental attitude that effects in real life are sometimes produced which even in detail resemble the personal experiences of the parents for the empirical material here i must refer you to the literature i should like to remind you that one of my pupils dr emma first produced valuable experimental proofs for the solution of this problem to which i referred in my lecture at clark university in applying association experiments to whole families dr first established the great resemblance of reaction type among all the members of one family these experiments show that there very often exists an unconscious parallelism of association between parents and children to be explained as an intense imitation or identification the results of these investigations show far-reaching psychological tendencies in parallel directions which readily explain at times the astonishing conformity in their destinies our destinies are as a rule the result of our psychological tendencies these facts allow us to understand why not only the patient but even the theory which has been built on such investigations expresses the view that the neurosis is the result of the characteristic influence of the parents upon their children this view moreover is supported by the experiences which lie at the basis of pedagogy namely the assumption of the plasticity of the child's mind which is freely compared with soft wax we know that the first impressions of childhood accompany us throughout life and that certain educational influences may restrain people undisturbed all their lives within certain limits it is no miracle indeed it is rather a frequent experience that under these circumstances a conflict has to break out between the personality which is formed by the educational and other influences of the infantile milieu and that one which can be described as the real individual line of life with this conflict all people must meet who are called upon to live an independent and productive life owing to the enormous influence of childhood on the later development of character you can perfectly understand why we are inclined to ascribe the cause of a neurosis directly to the influences of the infantile environment i have to confess that i have known cases in which any other explanation seemed to be less reasonable there are indeed parents whose own contradictory neurotic behaviour causes them to treat their children in such an unreasonable way that the latter's deterioration and illness would seem to be unavoidable hence it is almost a rule among nerve specialists to remove neurotic children whenever possible from the dangerous family atmosphere and to send them among more healthy influences where without any medical treatment they thrive much better than at home there are many neurotic patients who were clearly neurotic as children and who have never been free from illness for such cases the conception which has been sketched holds generally good this knowledge which seems to be provisionally definitive has been extended by the studies of freud in the psychoanalytic school the relations between the patients and their parents have been studied in detail inasmuch as these relations were regarded as of etiological significance infantile mental attitude it was soon noticed that such patients lived still partly or wholly in their childhood world although quite unconscious themselves of this fact it is a difficult task for psychoanalysis so exactly to investigate the psychological mode of adaptation of the patients as to be capable of putting its finger on the infantile misunderstanding we find among neurotics many who have been spoiled as children these cases give the best and clearest example of the infantilism of their psychological mode of adaptation they start out in life expecting the same friendly reception tenderness and easy success obtained with no trouble to which they have been accustomed by their parents in their youth even very intelligent patients are not capable of seeing at once that they owe the complications of their life and their neurosis to the trail of their infantile emotional attitude the small world of the child the familiar surroundings these form the model of the big world the more intensely the family has stamped the child the more will it be inclined as an adult instinctively to see again in the great world its former small world of course this must not be taken as a conscious intellectual process on the contrary the patient feels and sees the difference between now and then and tries to adapt himself as well as he can perhaps he will even believe himself perfectly adapted for he grasps the situation intellectually But that does not prevent the emotional from being far behind the intellectual standpoint unconscious fantasy it is unnecessary to trouble you with instances of this phenomenon it is an everyday experience that our emotions are never at the level of our reasoning it is exactly the same with such a patient only with greater intensity he may perhaps believe that save for his neurosis he is a normal person and hence adapted to the conditions of life he does not suspect that he has not relinquished certain childish pretensions that he still carries with him in the background expectations and illusions which he has never rendered conscious to himself he cultivates all sorts of favourite fantasies which seldom become conscious or at any rate not very often so that he himself does not know that he has them they very often exist only as emotional expectations hopes prejudices etc we call these fantasies unconscious fantasies sometimes they dip into the peripheral consciousness as quite fugitive thoughts which disappear again a moment later so that the patient is unable to say whether he had such fantasies or not it is only during the psychoanalytic treatment that most patients learn to observe and retain these fleeting thoughts although most of the fantasies once at least have been conscious in the form of fleeting thoughts and only afterwards became unconscious we have no right to call them on that account conscious as they are practically most of the time unconscious it is therefore right to designate them unconscious fantasies of course there are also infantile fantasies which are perfectly conscious and which can be reproduced at any time end of chapter four